Welcome to another episode of Ben and Eric's podcast, an opinion show where we share our top three movies released within the calendar year of 2023. Um, it's about as simple as that. Me and Eric have done our research. We've compiled, uh, I'm assuming, a large list of movies and narrowed it down to three. And that's what we're going to do. We're going to share them with you today. And then after that, we're also going to discuss Eric's um, top TV shows of this year. Um, so that'll be right after this. But Eric, how are you doing? I am doing well, Ben. Welcome back uh, from your semester at college. Mm -hmm. Everything went well, I hope. Yeah. Yeah. Finals are looking up. Um, I'm good. getting back good grades for that. So good. even when I thought I bombed, uh, I only got, a, I got a B plus. So in the bad. final or the, the yeah, class? Yeah, in the final. What class was that? That was Asian American graphic novels. Asian American uh, graphic novels. Yeah, basically my final comic project. books. You have a class on comic books. Yeah, it's a little bit more serious than that. I can I can feel your judgment across the screen. Well, I'm Eric. comparing that to my final on differential equations. You know, to level two hundred, yeah. and I'm thinking, yeah, I guess there's judgment coming across. Yeah, I think so. There's a lot of judgment coming across. I feel resentment. <laughs> um, I don't I don't hide that well, do I? No, and I don't think you like that. I did well in that class. I no, like I want you to do well, Ben. I always want you to do well, even if it's you know in a class with, that you're sitting next to kindergartners. I think it's good <laughs> that you do well. You know, Eric, we're talking about real themes. It's it's another it's a literature class. It's like reading. I would probably not do well. You're right. You're absolutely. It's like right. reading uh, American novels by like old old guys from like the early 1900s. Yeah. It's by new people in the early 2000s. It's interesting. I, actually, it's it's not judgment; it's jealousy. Because when I was in college, all my friends were in um, what do they call it? RTVF, uh, Radio, Television, and Film, was the mm -hmm. acronym for the the course study that they actually banned at my college right at the <laughs> end of my tenure, because I think they realized that people were just signing up so they could you know turn the lights out and watch two hours of a movie, and and that's the lab that they had, right? Yeah. So I think I sat through one of those with my wife and was like, holy shit, this is this is your college education. Yeah, um, that is actually my college education. I know, I, I know. I'm so it's jealousy. What I'm saying is it's it's coming yes. from a, a, a place of jealousy, not judgment. Um, although of course with everything I say it comes across as judgment. <laughs> I am going I am like on track for a four year degree that like it is is like nothing compared to what like math majors do. It's phenomenal. It's like it's it's like a cheat code for college. A little. Bit. I wish I wish I had that cheat code back in the day. Yeah, but I and can't get like an engineering job now. But that's fine. I wasn't going to do that anyways. So well, twenty years from now, we'll look back on your career and we'll be like, yeah, those four years in college were awesome for both your <laughs> preparation for your life and living through it at the time. So I'm going to end on a jealousy and like. Okay, I'm, yeah. I'm like in awe of your your life decisions. Yeah, be jealous, Eric. Okay, also be jealous of my superior list. Um, here's here's the preface. Let's go. Here's the preface for this. Yeah. Um, I we started this podcast in June of this year. Um, I, I wasn't watching a lot of movies this year, and I didn't end up watching a lot of movies from this year, like released this year. Um. I kind of skipped on a lot of them just because like my attitude is I'm still new to watching movies. I'm going to watch older stuff. Like even if it's released in like 2017, 
like I would still like it's got like six or seven years of criticism behind it. And if it still holds up, then I think it's more worth watching than something that came out this year. That's been my attitude for a long time. And so I haven't watched a lot of movies this year. I, I wonder, is that the same for you? Well, let me ask you about that. I'll interview you first as a part okay. of this podcast. But like, it must have given you a really good perspective comparing some of the classics that you had to go look at and some of the stuff that was built on the, on top of those classics, like people that derive their thoughts and style and technique from those classics. Um, I know for me, it was, it was great to kind of um, be disciplined to go see stuff in the theaters that I normally would wait a year and a half for them to hit streaming. So I liked being part of the conversation. I liked sort of forcing myself to, to watch these current movies. Um, were these movies like center of conversations between you and your friends or your professors or anything? I mean, were Not they referencing all. current movies at all? No, there was one class last year where uh, after like a weekend, we had the class on Monday and the professor would go like, so what movies did you guys watch this this weekend? And like people would give real answers, but that was like last year and I didn't yeah. have any of those classes. And it, I mean, like we're, I'm not going to have those classes again. Like I had the same kind, but it's just not the same teacher and it's not the same vibe as like, what did you watch? It's, it's like not more serious, but it, it's like, we let's get to the material. Like, how was your weekend? I uh, hope it was good. Let's get to the material. Well, that's a so, very targeted. How was your weekend question, right? It's from a, from a film <laughs> professor. It's a perfect question for everybody to get the conversation going. Yeah. Yeah. And by I the guess... way, it's a good opportunity for you to say, well, I had to see a movie this weekend in support of the podcast where I'm a co-host <laughs> and here's the link. Yeah, Eric, I actually have a lot of shame about promoting my podcast to random classmates who pay um, a lot of tuition that's that's the conversation you and i will have after this recording is finished to see what uh, you've what known my attitude on this this is my attitude on this is not changed we're, kill, we're killing it here dude you should be talking this up <laughs> friends and anyway so the watching current family, movies you the last six months then um a win for you in terms of your you know gaining knowledge and understanding the industry and technique and and everything around movie making <laughs> Yes, I I have been learning. Yeah, you're right. Um, I haven't really seen a lot of like movies where I'm like, oh, that's just this person copying that, or like that's so derivative of Stanley Kubrick. I don't know. It's I haven't noticed that. Like that's not something I've picked up on of like people modeling their movies and style after a certain director because I think a lot of the movies I've seen are like uh not quite like corporate but like studio movies like mm -hmm. a lot of the movies i've seen in theaters are studio films and they all kind of look the same yep they've got the big star they've got some lesser known actors they've got a plot and they've got a director who's gonna like do everything right you know not take too many risks if the studio doesn't want that and um they're gonna make a good movie so those are the a lot of the movies I've seen in theaters um, because they have big budgets and that they, they don't want to take big risks with those budgets. So some of the, so, the lower budget movies, you'll find more interesting like styles, yeah. but a lot of the bigger budget things that I ended up seeing in movies because that's how they, I wanted to see them. I didn't want to see like mission impossible by myself, like on streaming. Like right. I wanted to go to a theater and see that. So I did. And 
that doesn't that just looks like all the other Mission Impossible movies, which is fun. Yeah, completely. Um, it's a good experience, Mission Impossible. It's, I, I, I venture to say it's on neither of our top three lists here. Yeah. Um, so, but and and not rewatchable. Like I've got too much backed up to to see that I know is is our quality movies. That there's never going to be need, be a need to watch that Mission Impossible again. Yeah, I will You're get right. nothing out of it. You can so watch the original Mission Impossible. Yeah, Mission yeah. Impossible. Yeah, yeah, and some of those are are really good um the ghost protocols of the world and whatnot but um i'm i'm a lot more selective i found what i'm watching these days like i'm not re-watching anything that isn't gonna add value it's there's no like <laughs> let's leave something on while i'm folding the laundry kind of thing it's like yeah. no i have to be a lot more intentional about what i'm watching because we got a job to do here <laughs> we have a job to do we do. So let's get to our job. Tell me uh, you, who, who's starting with their number three. Who's counting down first? I'll, I'll start off. We don't have to. I can start off because way, I think you're going to. This is a surprise. We don't know what each other's uh, top three are. Yeah, that's a good preface. Uh, we didn't discuss. We just discussed uh, having our top three. Hey, did you make a like top three like worst movies you saw? I did not. Uh, I just added like three movies that I hated watching. Oh, good. I, I definitely want to hear I'll those. I'll just throw them in at the end. Okay. Um, so my top three in order, wait, I'm not going to read it. I'm reading the third one first. Thank obviously. you. Good. Um, my third favorite movie from this year is The Killer. I know you're going to be happy about this. I'll bet you put that in your top one or two, maybe. Uh, big reveal here. It is also my number three. It is also your number three. Okay, fantastic. So this worlds are, are aligning here, and we can talk about it freely as our number, our consensus number three. Yeah, um, a lot of diversity here on this podcast. <laughs> uh, so yeah, David Fincher's The Killer released on Netflix exclusively um, in November, was it? Yeah, November 10th, um, if I remember correctly. We recorded an episode about it and frankly like i couldn't really leave this one out on my list because the more i looked over the um annoyingly short list of movies that i've watched that came out in 2023 this was one that i couldn't think of like a reason not to rewatch it compared to all the other movies so like it this is my the way i went about making my list is like this is about um the movies that i would want to see right now if i had to watch from this list of movies and the killer is probably the third movie that I would want to see right now. Um, it's fantastic. Uh, the story is really well done. I can't get enough of David Fincher's audio. Uh, the wah, 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 like the whomping um, subwoofer in his, like in different scenes. It's so, it's so fun. You, you really speak eloquently about this. I like the way you talk about this movie. Um, so I'm going to let you talk about it, but yeah, David Fincher, did it again. Uh, and he made both of our lists deservingly. So. Yeah. So as, as I said before, I, I didn't, <clears throat> I didn't have Fincher on my sort of like favorite director list when I, when I fired this movie up and it's like, what was I thinking? I kind of recounted that journey I took, which is like, I, I think I love this director and I never really, I never really had an appreciation for him in terms of his whole filmography. My dog is digging in the background. So sorry for the, the noise there. Um, but firing this up, I was I was just floored from the very first minute, and frankly, the first twenty minutes, which is that rear window style, 
short film with, with a lot of exposition about how to kill somebody, how to assassinate somebody from across uh, a cityscape. And I love the methodical nature of this movie. The fact that it's like a recipe, it's like an instruction manual for how to be an assassin. And it's, it's nothing that I strive it's, for. It's just funny that, yeah. I mean, are you looking right. for a second career? No, but I love the sort of the, the, um, the sort of methodical nature of it. The fact that it's documented that he's got a process as I get older now, just starting retirement. It's like, I could see myself getting set in my ways. <laughs> And I, I'm now going to shout out my two children who are probably laughing out loud about the fact that I've been set in my ways probably for as long <laughs> as they've been alive, but it's gotten more so now, right? In terms of the time I walk the dog, the time I have breakfast, how I make my coffee, like all that shit is kind of set in stone. And uh, <laughs> this movie gives you that like from the very, very beginning. And as in is the case with life, sometimes shit goes sideways and you have to adapt. And I can think of many times this year where shit went sideways. And if you have a process, if you're true to your sort of, um, uh, if you're true to your values and, and things that have paid off for you in the past in terms of logistics and behavior, then you can bring yourself back on course. So that in a nutshell is why I love this movie. I love that they don't get too abstract about things. You know, I have an issue with abstract movies and TV and I'm, I, I just like, you know, I love the methodical nature of, of this just sort of step one, step two, the fact that they were chapterized in the movie. I loved it's like, Oh, good. Accomplish that. Move on. Accomplish that. Move on. And uh, I just, I, I was in awe of it. And, um, I've rewatched a few scenes. I need to go back and watch the whole rewatch the whole thing for sure, because uh, I love this movie and I'm a Fincher fan now forevermore. Yeah, that is not at all what I got from this movie. Um, yeah. I like um, that you got that from this it's movie. It's crazy. It's like we saw two different movies, and that's pretty cool. Yeah, and I bet if we we rewatched it, we'd see another two different movies. Um, I I think this movie hits home for me in a in a way that's not like discipline or whatever i think that's really cool they like make a disciplined character who like never makes mistakes but then all obviously makes mistakes uh that's it's like a neil character in from heat like a very disciplined uh character who lives by a set of rules and then as the movie goes on kind of starts to break those rules um i just found this to be like one of the best action movies i'd call this an action movie yeah. I I'd say it's an it's definitely an action movie. Um paranoid action movie you could also add a little bit. Um it's I mean it's funny that we mentioned Mission Impossible the first one because that's that one's really like a paranoid spy thriller, like really done well. De Palma like does action super well but then also gets like the emotional character paranoia that and gets that out of Tom Cruise. So that's that's really good and like this movie is just like a really, really wildly entertaining, like super well done character study of this Michael Fassbender's The Killer. Uh, he doesn't have a name, does he? He's just The Killer. Are uh, you correct? He's just The Killer. Yeah. Yeah. He goes by a bunch of different names. That's the whole. That's the whole thing. Um, right. So yeah, that's what I. It's basically what I got out of it was like the best, most well made, really entertaining, but also really 
just super well done because David Fincher doesn't miss. He's not the kind of guy to make a movie and miss. You can talk about Mank maybe or Panic Room. I love those movies still. I'd take them over a lot of other movies that we've seen this year. Um, Just because it's so interesting to watch what's being shown. Like the way I see it is kind of like a... I'm jerking off David Fincher right now, but it's just so good. It's like, it's so well made and the stuff that he does, like I don't even begin to comprehend it and I'm like learning how to comprehend what he's doing. And so that's the reason I know I just said that and you can't unhear that. No, that's that, good. But... First of all, we need a supercut of you saying things like <laughs> jerking off and shaving parts of a body and my reaction and my blushing. That should be a yeah. cut at some point. Um, you talk about action movie. Yeah, this movie is incredibly propulsive. Each It builds on itself throughout each chapter, um, leading to a, an, an epic fight scene with one of his targets that was like, you know, I, I haven't seen a more earned fight scene. You like in an action movie, you expect to have fight scenes, right? You're going to have them. But this one felt like, of course, there needs to be a fight here. And it's not like a token fight scene. It's like earned. And I'm incredibly invested in every punch that's thrown and it is done extremely well. Like in Eastern promises that we, that we talked about just an earned <laughs> yeah. fight scene that didn't feel like it was just for the purpose of having one. Yeah. And that kind of thing is like so grueling to film, like in the dark lit, so lit by practical lights. It might be lit by practical lights only. Yeah. And like the map that, David Fincher and his team created to go to different places in this room and film these different angles and like, and get like the, uh, the beat of him, like grabbing a, a cheese grater and going fuck. And like, and then, and then the fight continues like that kind of stuff is just, it's, it's kind of incomprehensible. You don't know who's saying what you don't know uh, who suggested what, or who did what to put something where, but it's just, it's so, it's so like not a movie the movie is so well done that you're just like, yeah, this happened. And it looked exactly like this when it happened. Right. And it's just like, that's such, that's such good filmmaking that everything you see is like completely and utterly believable. So yep. yeah, uh, For sure. that's a lot on the killer. Um, it's, no, it's very anything good. Anything else? No, no, it's we complete. Talked a lot that's about complete. It. I, people, I mean, if you like action movies, um, if you like, I don't know, but this is, this one is, such a winner. Uh, I was contemplating it moving higher on the list, but we got a couple good ones to go. Yeah. Uh, I'm interested to hear what your second choice is. Number I'm two. I'm glad I led with the first, but yeah. For me, number two is a small film called Oppenheimer. Oh. Well, I hope we don't have the same number one because this is my, um, this is my number one film. Oh, okay. Good. There you go. So we're, we're close on this. Um, yeah. I'll start here and say that, and I, <clears throat> I do need to rewatch this. It, it, I mean, it has to be reseen. This, this is one that you have to see over again. Um, I, I, I heard a, a great reviewer that I sometimes follow here on on YouTube. His name is Tom Vanderlinden, so I'll give him credit for this. But he said it's it's like an opera or a symphony in the way it plays out. The score kind of takes you from scene to scene. And the journey of this character, the way he goes through life and the decisions that are made by him and the decisions that are made for him that he can't say no to just because, you know, 
the you know the human race depends on it kind of thing so it it is it does play like this sort of epic opera and and the way the the score sort of takes you through that i really connected with that analysis of it so you know the these slow pans across you know atomic bombs and rockets going through clouds and all of that just sort of just washes over you and i'm i'm looking forward to seeing it again because i do want to sort of experience it now that i know the beats of the plot and all that i just sort of want the rest of that to kind of just happen and have me sort of sit and enjoy the the um the flow of it so i yeah this was just this was a great experience it was i did see it in imax in the theater um which i talked about my experience on that being incredibly loud incredibly warm uh temperature wise um but it was sort of all engrossing and that's what movies should do to you it should be something that you experience in every part of your body and i certainly did for this movie um of course never looking at a phone never like pausing it you can't do that and i appreciated the film even more because it was just you know an immersive experience yeah um this movie is my number one i think just because of the anticipation um apparently i heard like the barbie oppenheimer um like marketing strategy started in like january like they they had like a six month plan of like what to do, what to release, when to do it, and they really got the ball rolling for like a massive audience to be really excited to watch both of these films. And I think it was like, I mean, it was honestly, it was like one of the biggest movie events in the decade. Like it's, it felt like, oh man, movies are back. Like people are fucking going to see this. Mm-hmm and really excited and so participating in that made me feel like i was participating in like a widespread cultural event and like and if you didn't then like what are you doing like if you didn't pay attention or if you didn't hear about it or didn't feel like going it's like what are you doing like everybody's having fun with this like just buy a ticket it's it, like movies are back and so watching that and then of course i double featured as we know, I I took the hit. I spent five and a half right. hours in the theater. Um, yeah, five and a half hours in the theater. And I saw Barbie first. That was a good choice. It was lighthearted and fun. And I could, like, get out of that movie emotion and, like, be emotionally ready to watch another one. And then Oppenheimer hit. And I was, it was like, I was like, I, I watched it with Liam. Um, and we just both went home afterwards. We were like, oof. We yeah. can't like, what are we going to talk about? Are we going to hang training. out after this? Like it's training. Yeah. It was, it was a really, really emotional ride. Um, I love Robert Downey Jr.'s performance in it. Mm. Um, every time I see clips of him on YouTube as Lewis Strauss, it's like, Oh shit. It's really fucking good. This guy plays a really hateful character and does it really well. And, um, and then there's also like 17 other character actors who absolutely crush it. Um, and I mean, of course we can talk about Killian Murphy. Um, I'm really glad he got a like super leading role in a Christopher Nolan movie. Um, that's fantastic. Just couldn't happen to a better guy. I mean, it, it, it looks like Killian Murphy could wear the Oppenheimer like clothes like every day. <laughs> like 
he doesn't use his phone he doesn't like he doesn't access the internet like he's just that guy who's just like willfully ignorant of anything on the internet and is like just human interaction and like oh that's nice in the 21st century that's nice um so yeah this i can't even like begin to describe like how happy i am that this movie happened i mean i was almost out on christopher nolan after mm. tenet like mm. i i was like i can't hear it chris uh let's make a different movie where we can hear the actual audio and it was like oh right christopher nolan really knows how to make a fucking movie i mean yeah. the bomb everyone talked about how like it joked about like chris uh christopher nolan was going to like actually set off a nuclear bomb and record it right and of course he didn't but like that was the way they did it the way they replicated it and i think it to return to your point about like taking inspiration from previous filmmakers it looked a lot like terrence malick's um style in like hand of god really abstract okay. um i'll allow it like the way the way he filmed uh the nuke like the molecules like reacting and stuff mm-hmm. And swirling and like combining, the way he filmed that was really reminiscent. I think of Tree of Life by Terrence Malick. The way he filmed like space, yeah, bleh, whatever. Um, I love that movie. That movie's awesome. It's got like incredible visuals that you would never expect to see. We were doing so well on this pod. My God, now you're just bringing it down. Now I'm comparing it to an all-time great by an all-time great filmmaker. Which no one can criticize me for. We can have an abstract fight because that movie just like. (laughs) Oh my god. I don't know how you see Tree of Life and you're like, bleh. I saw it on like the most pixelated like 480p projection onto a TV. I saw it in a terrible format. It was it completely did not do it justice. And I was like, this is awesome. Oh my god, just pure torture. That would be torture if I had to rewatch that. Uh yeah, I'm I'm surprised you even decided to watch it. Who made you watch that? I I don't know. It had a great cast. It 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 you know whatever. I it was years yeah. ago. It was when it came out. Let, yeah. like Terrence Malick for those you who don't know. Back to Oppenheimer. Terrence Malick for those who don't know is a fantastic filmmaker. He did um Days of Heaven. He's done he did A Hidden Life. He did uh The Thin Red Line, which I think is his most popular. I don't know. Hmm. But he's a uh, a fantastic like the way he uses the camera is like one of a kind and it looks so much like his style. Um, him in a cinematographer style uh and so that's what i'm comparing it to it's it's like a magnum opus it's the best thing he's ever done since like memento uh it's just hats off to this movie um i want to talk a little bit about nolan's evolution here he's got i'm just looking at his filmography and it kind of goes um there's two types of movies that he does one is like you know brain twisters it's ones that you like leave and the movie and you're like you have to talk about it for a half hour to see what the hell you just saw you um, you know things like so obviously starting with memento inception um interstellar tenet all all of those um sort of they've got they've got these these this path that he takes you down that requires you to think about what you just saw four scenes ago and make sense of it all and I love those movies. And even Tenet, I think, is, um, I venture to say, is probably better. The second time you see it is better than the first. And the third is better than the second because you start to get a, a, a um, 
a knowledge base that you need going into each scene that really helps pay it off. And yeah, if you can't hear it, uh, good luck building a knowledge base. In, well, in subtitles. If you're old and you start with subtitles, then you don't have that issue. But so Inception is um, is like one of my favorite movies, and it's a great example of like, holy shit, I need a flowchart on this. Um, you know, so so that's the that's a, he's got that kind of movie. Then he's got the kind of like Oppenheimer, which builds off of, and I'll go in reverse order here. Dunkirk and Dark Knight and um, maybe Prestige. Yeah, maybe the Prestige. That are, sorry, say it again. I said maybe the Prestige. I was agreeing with you. Yeah, right. So ones that kind of are more character studies and take you through people and their individual journeys. And like, so he's learning in that world for sure. He's got more on the brain twister movies than this, this type, but he's really firing all cylinders now. I think he's like at the height of his powers in terms of what he can do in both styles of film. And um, yeah, I think he's probably number one in terms of directors for me, Interstellar being one that I rewatched in the last couple months and like people knock it for some areas and I understand the criticisms. <laughs> his but exposition, which you love, you love exposition. I, people, I, I need people to explain shit to me all the fucking time. <laughs> so, you know, I had no issue with exposition. Like yeah. if, if a filmmaker is, is giving me exposition, it's probably for a reason and damn if I don't need it. So yeah, I'm all for it. So, you know what, you know what I will say to exposition, just, I'm, I'm going to make my point about exposition and then we'll move on. But I just made a I made a documentary in my intro to documentary class hmm. and I submitted a rough cut for it before it was due and the professor said you're doing a lot of um telling you're you're not showing yeah not showing your hmm. your subject is telling the audience what's happening but we're not seeing what's happening so what you need to do is if you have the footage if you have the clips get the footage of him and his crew doing what they're doing instead of just him recapping what they're doing at the end in an interview. And I took that advice, submitted a new draft that was, that didn't really look like um, what the original draft looked like. And he gave me a hundred and said this, you really took the ideas of, sh of show don't tell and you, uh, you made it into a, a better documentary. And so that's what I have to say about exposition. That's totally fair. Um, I will, I will um, assume that you didn't do something that are that was inception level detail, right? No. So when when you know when Joseph Gordon-Levitt or or Leo is is saying what just happened in a scene or what is about to happen in a scene in Inception, I need that prep. And I think everybody does because there's a you lot a of point. show in Inception. They show you a lot, but they also need to tell you a lot because yeah. there's a lot you don't know. You wake up in that movie. You start that movie on that train where they're about to go inside someone's head. It's like, what the fuck is going on? I'm 30 seconds in. I need help. Please don't <laughs> bail. Don't leave me hanging in the first minute because you may lose me. And so I need it. And uh, he does that really well. And then again, the Oppenheimer style, which is, um, yeah, there's exposition there, but you don't need it as much. And man, does he show you a lot in this movie? Yeah, I absolutely adored all the different characters and their interactions. And like, um, yeah, uh, 
Was this it's an so easy well call done. for you, number one, Oppenheimer, against your number two, which we don't know yet? But is this like, was this an easy number one for you, or is it a neck and neck yeah. situation? Yeah, it was an easy number one. I think just okay. because of the, well, I have to, I have to attribute some of it to the marketing and the like and the buildup and the cultural moment that it was um mm. it can't it can't really be understated like i don't think this movie would do nearly as well if it was not like neck and neck with barbie or like released on the same day right. and um if it wasn't such like it just wouldn't be it wouldn't have the same meaning and so i i mean like you can you can't look at a movie in a vacuum. Like you have to look at it in the social context that it came out in. And this movie's social context that it came out in is like, this is not just another movie. Right. This is like the movie of the summer. <laughs> it's funny that I call it a movie of the summer. Um, it's not really the movie. It's like, this is the movie. Barbie is like the movie of the summer. Like have fun with your friends and watch Barbie. This is like, yeah. it was described as like, you walk out of the theater, like in disbelief. You're just like, yeah. you're, you're shocked and you don't really say much. And that's exactly what happened to me. I didn't have very much to say. It was an awkward goodbye. I was just like, like, can't really do anything after that one. It was very, and, very affecting movie. Yes. And yeah, and it was just as advertised, if not more. And that's why I took my number one spot. I'm curious to see what you have for your number one spot. I want to talk about that now. I think we're, I think we're. I we traded off. You went first. I went second. We've we've yeah. hit we've hit three of our six spots. I guess right. One, two, four, three, four. We've hit four. So there's two to go. So you're number two. Right. My number I'll, one. I'll tell you right? my number two. Let's my go. number two, and I'm hoping you don't have this for number one. Is Riley? Oh shit! What a shocker! No, I didn't. What did uh, you think it was? What did you think it was? I thought it was gonna be Killers of the Flower Moon. No, it did. That did not make my top three. I'm okay. sorry to say, Marty, you were considered definitely on the short list. No doubt about it. Killers of the Flower Moon. Uh, well, not only is it just another like white man in <laughs> who made another movie, he made another long movie about like another white guy. Um, <laughs> I kind of had to choose Rylane because, well, first of all, I knew you wouldn't have it. I hoped you wouldn't have it at least. I and did, if you did, did it's not my number one for sure. Kudos yeah. to you. I'm happy that we agreed on every single movie in the top three. Um, <laughs> but if not, I wanted to talk about this movie just because. Um, well, I didn't really know about it. You were the one who introduced me to it. Um, I was unfamiliar. I was a little bit like hesitant, like, oh boy, this is this could really, I could end up shitting on this movie when we record about it later. But then I started it and then I kept watching and I was like, this is awesome. Um, I love, I love this kind of story. Um, you know, if it's done wrong, like it's really done wrong. So it's kind of a risk. Like you can't just, you can't just put two actors in front of a camera and have them walk and talk for an hour 45. It's going to be boring, but you've got to really invest the time and the chemistry and the writing. And a lot of things have to go right for this movie to really pull off what it did. And there were no guarantees. I mean, I don't, I don't really know the actors. Um, they're both very talented, but I'm assuming like they were not very, they they either weren't familiar before the movie or like, or they weren't very like big before the movie because um, they were just really talented. And it looked like a lot of hungry people, like who really wanted to make something good and cute and fun and like not really popular, but like really just uh, impactful and emotional. Uh, this movie like really 
did that. I think they had a simple goal to make a a, a rom com that doesn't define the genre or like subvert the genre, but really like takes the best parts of a rom com and does them super well, and tends to and leaves out like the bad corny parts. And I re- like it. It really didn't feel like just another like how to lose a guy in 10 days or like uh 10 things I hate about you or like, like a, not a corny rom-com, but like a, um, just another one. Mm-hmm. Some people might be offended by my calling 10, uh, 10 things I hate about you. Just another rom-com. I'm good. Keep going. I'm just, okay. I know. But this movie really stood out as like, wow, this is, this is someone who really understands. This is made by people who really understand the genre, really understand what they're going for really know how to do it well and then did it it's like that's awesome Hmm. that's my second favorite movie um anything to say about that uh this is number two for you yes um so the actors i just want to shout out david johnson who plays the male lead in this he's also in hbo's industry and he's excellent in that so it's the only other thing i've seen him in and it's really good i i do love this movie i it did not even make my top 10 and i'm wow I'm a little bit, um, I'm second guessing that a bit now that I'm just sort of revisiting it. Uh, I love the, you know, I'm a sucker for the, the walk and talk romance before sunrise style before sunrise being one of of my favorite movies of all time. And this, this sort of hits those beats for sure. As each scene, the couple gets a little closer. There's the relationship in this is, is much more stressed and kind of uh, challenged in this one than in Before Sunrise, which is sort of a building romance as, you know, you build to like at the end where you're like, I love these two. I love them together. I hope they never leave. And mm-hmm. um, so, th- th- yeah, from that standpoint, um, this one does push those buttons for me and they did it really well. It's very funny. Um, it's well-written there. It's, you could tell the script was punched up and each scene ends either on a very strong dramatic note or on just a hilarious note and it's got some abstraction to it too it's 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 got some weirdness and and uh off the wall elements and uh so it's got it all as they say mm-hmm. so yeah good choice yeah um, it's on i'm really happy just for people that want to see it yeah i'm really happy that this movie came back how did you decide like did you pull from a list of your like letterbox did you pull from like yeah um because i went on imdb and i like scrolled through every single one yeah i mean i've got i've got a bunch of four and a halfs this year uh four and a half ratings and those are the ones i drew from and i i actually created on letterboxd you can follow me at eric n on letterboxd um i've got my top 10 of 2023 and they're like four and a halfs up there and some fours in the back end of that but I just pulled from the four and a halfs. Hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, did, I really didn't watch very many movies. <laughs> well, we forced you to watch some. Yeah. Uh, uh, you're, you're, by the way, at Ben Dorsey, B-E-N-D-O-R-C-Y yeah. on Letterboxd. People should follow us there. You get our latest uh, sort of diary of what we watched, what we reviewed, what, what we rated, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, Rye Lane, I think, isn't isn't the kind of movement and the kind of like social thing that occurred when Oppenheimer came out. Um, if I had to rewatch something and I was in a good mood, I would probably rewatch Rye Lane over 
uh, the killer. Um, just because that puts me in a good mood still. And um, so, yeah, that's why it makes my top two. Uh, Eric, what's your what's your number one? Let's let's talk about this one. My, your number one being remind me. Yours was uh, Oppenheimer. Yes, right. My number two. Um, yeah. My number one is Past Lives. <laughs> wow. You all right there? You yeah, need, I'm fine. Go on. Go you on. Need, you need a break or you good? No, I'm all right. You can shit on Terrence Malick. I can I can uh, exhale after you after you um, say Past Lives. This again, going back to the romantic piece of it. Um, you know, the sliding doors aspect of things that could have been, uh, this did hit those notes for sure. It was, I can't think of a movie that I love more where so little happened. Like the events that happen in this movie, the, the actions, the turns, the twists, there aren't many of those at all. And the ones that are there are just like, there's one big twist. There's one big turn in the beginning and everything comes after that. And then there's this interaction with these two leads later in their 20 years later in their life and uh, what could have been. And um, I, I, I was hanging on every word. I was hanging on every syllable, every touch, you know, when they're on the, when the two leads are on the subway and the, their hands touch, it's like you, you almost feel the spark, right? You feel like the intensity of them reconnecting and what might happen and what, you know, how, um, how the relationship that, um, Arthur has with, you know, as the quote unquote evil white American husband, it, as he self-proclaims in this, uh, how he may sort of be on the, 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 the emotional back burner now, um, is just really, really telling. And, uh, I, I love how that's shown and not told. There is some exposition in this, but I just felt every interaction like directly through the heart. And I love that. And even there's like two or three scenes in this movie that are incredibly rewatchable where things just hang in the balance between these, these, this couple, this married couple and this outsider that then makes an appearance. And I felt every minute of it leading up to the end. I, I was not emotional throughout the movie. And then the end happens. And it was just like this emotional release. It was like, I just, it, it all was a build up to that moment. And, you know, I, I can't point to anything specific that happened, but I've never felt an ending. Like I just felt in this movie. Um, and I've got another thought about sort of what this movie was, you know, what it owes a debt to. Uh, but I, I'll leave it there and have you um, go ahead and it looks from your look on your face as you're going to shit on my point a little bit. I'm not going to shit on it. Right. Uh, sorry. <laughs> Past lives. Past lives. Is it, is a very good, it's a very good movie. Um, it just, it didn't, it didn't, it didn't hit the emotional beats the way um, I thought it would. I saw the emotional beats and I could see like, oh, this is where they're going for that. Or this is where they want you to feel this. But I didn't really end up feeling that. Like, this is supposed to be the kind of movie that I love, right? It's like an independent filmmaker. Um, actors that like really care about their roles and like look like they just are so comfortable and really and are just really giving their all in the, in these performances. Um, you know, the filmmaking is telling you something 
it's the way the camera moves, uh, where it moves, what you see, what you don't see is all really important because a lot of thought went into it. Um, that being said, I just didn't get the emotionality of it that I was supposed to. Uh, I'm really excited to see what all these people can do in the future. I really believe in like everyone who was a part of making this, but what I didn't get was like, first of all, the believability that she would ever go back with, um, the guy from, uh, what's his character's name? Um, T.O.U. Yeah. Mm. Oh no, it's Haesong. Haesong is the, and, uh, Nor- and, uh, I guess Nora is, um, yeah, Nora is the woman. Yep. The the believability that Nora would ever go back with Haesong or like ever mm-hmm. see, like actually pursue that. That was not believable to me. If there had been more, like if there had been a, a little bit more believability, um, I think maybe I would have bought it more like the emotional struggle. But to me, she was never in on him like a hundred percent never like bought into his character. Mm -hmm. And so he never really felt like a threat or like an emotional, like, um, like her heart was ever pulled in two directions. It never really felt like that. So that is a main point in this movie. That's like a core, very important thing that needs to happen for this movie to really get across. And it didn't get across to me. And so, I'm very happy with this movie. It just isn't top three. That's fair. There's, there's the sliding doors aspect of it, as I mentioned, where, you know, your past decisions put you on a trajectory that may not allow you to go back. That part of it was like, you know, that decision was made um, by someone else for these two kids when they were 12 years old. And then it was all about like, can we rekindle what we might've had if she did, she had stayed in Korea and the fact, and, and I'm, I'm going to, you can just skip ahead 60 seconds for what I'm going to say next. Cause I'm, I'm going to spoil a little bit, but I heard a, an interview by, um, uh, Celine song, right? She's the, yeah, uh, she's the writer right. director. She said, she says, um, in terms of the end that was so impactful for me. So please skip ahead if you haven't seen the movie. Um, why did Nora cry at the end of past lives, which is when I fucking lost it too. It was like, I didn't feel it until that moment. She said, I don't think Nora knew that she needed to say goodbye to her 12 year old self. When she goes home crying, she gets to say goodbye in the way that she didn't get to do as a 12 year old. So that, that for me was, yeah, that really rang true. And it's like, I really felt that in the moment and the explanation just sort of locked that in. So I, you know, I agree with you that um, Hey Song was never going to um, be the one chosen in this movie, uh, but it was all how they were going to say goodbye and how Arthur was going to sort of maintain his, what appeared to be a pretty average marriage to Nora. Uh, was it going to, were they going to build on this? Was it going to send them further apart? You know, was this going to be, a wedge that was going to be there forever because of what could have been between Nora and Haesung. So all of that was, I was just hanging on everything, waiting for that to resolve itself. And, you know, at the end was, I think, and people probably are, I'm going to 
get ourselves back out of spoiler territory here. But I, I just loved, as I said before, every syllable was like, I was hanging on every word. I love that part of this movie. And mm. um, again, so little happened in the movie. Like, like as you look at the list of, of, you know, the bulleted list of what took place, but just the emotional uh, investment that I had in every scene was, I was just like breathless. That's very nice. I'm a romantic, Ben. Uh, that's very nice. Maybe, maybe I'm the wrong age. Maybe I gotta wait for twelve, fifteen years for the potential of a love to be rekindled. I don't know. That's a little bit relevant. That could be. I want to shout out one movie that I went to that I'd always heard about and is very much in this style. And I, I haven't. I looked to see if Celine Song built on this movie from 2018. And I haven't found the internets haven't told me that she that she did, but it's a movie called Us and Them. It is a Chinese movie, as I said, from 2018 of two young people that have a relationship when they're young. Um, very unique individuals. They kind of grow apart as the movie goes on, and uh, it's a very similar style and uh, what if kind of thing, and also has an ending that just punches you in the fucking gut and just, just rips you apart. And it's, it's really a great movie. I loved it. Um, it would have been in my top few from, from 2018. If we go back in time and had a podcast then, but I loved it. And if you like past lives, you should definitely go see us and them, which uh, really delivers on the same beats. Hmm. That's very nice. Um. Yeah. I don't, I don't have much That's else to say about past lives. Number one movie of the year. I'm I'm a, I'm a bit surprised that our lists were so similar. We had two similar ones, right? Yeah. And then we chose um, like a not a rom com, but like a romantic movie. What What was the honorable mention that just fell off the back end of number three for you? That's a a good question. Um, While you're looking, mine is the holdovers, the Christmas movie that we hmm. just reviewed recently. I. I Thinking about that movie a lot, um, I, you know, I love that movie. So it was, uh, it was number four. Mine would probably be Killers or Wait for It, Bottoms maybe. Oh, we would have fought about that for sure. I don't think it would ever really make a top three list. I think it could easily make a top ten list, maybe a top five, maybe. All right. I have well, to you can watch it, but you can see my top ten at Letterbox again. Uh, Eric N is where to find me on Letterbox, and I've got a list called Best Movies of 2023, and you can see my ten rounded out there. Mm -hmm. So we're gonna take a short break. That was our top three lists of movies released in the calendar year of 2023. Um, there's also a lot that I haven't seen. Um, things like. May, December, Boy and the Heron. I didn't see Saltburn, but I really, really should have. Um, Poor Things. Maestro is out right now on Netflix. Uh, Ferrari is coming out like in a week. Anatomy of a Fall I should have seen. Eileen I've heard is good. Dream Scenario is something I wanted to catch. There's so many things that I missed that are in theaters that are not on streaming now that I'm really disappointed that I didn't catch. But they kind of came in December or November, and I was like busy with shit. What, what so May, December is on Netflix now. I recommend yeah. you see it. I would like to talk about that at some point because I yeah. saw it and I have thoughts. Uh, as you said, Maestro Netflix came out yesterday on December 20th. 
and Saltburn comes out tomorrow, the 22nd. By the time everyone hears this, um, Saltburn will be on Amazon. Really? So, yep, Fuck yeah. That's what, that's what my intel says. <laughs> Fuck so, yeah. Okay. I, that's a movie that um, I, I know of a scene in that movie that you and I cannot talk about. Um, yeah, I think I know what you're never, talking about. We will never talk about it. Um, I've heard a couple of reviews, podcasts about this movie, and I don't think I want to see that movie. So, um, yeah, I'm you curious. probably don't. It's, it's a really interesting movie though. I'm curious to hear your, uh, your thoughts on it, but, um, okay. All right. Yeah. Let's take a break and we'll, uh, we'll do we'll a little back bit of with TV. Eric's TV list. Uh, there you go. So yeah, we'll be right back and we're back, but first an ad read from Eric, take it away. You make it seem like I've got something prepared. Uh, I'm not reading anything. I will tell you that I recently purchased a four pack of Dirty Sioux olive juice because it makes a great gift. I've, I had a couple of unopened bottles here. You know, you go to a holiday party or whatever, friends, and everyone brings a bottle of wine, right? It's like what everyone <laughs> always does is a bottle of wine. And then no, there's always that weird part of like, um, well, this is great. We should open this now. But then I hear it's like not kosher to open that bottle of wine for that evening that that should be saved for the hosts of the event to open at a different time it's like otherwise it's just like a byow party right like you bought yeah. your own wine and now you're gonna drink the shit that you bought from me that's not cool right so um i don't know i didn't think of this tangent before but i'm kind of i'm i'm signed on to this so I'm what you bring <laughs> is something that's gonna that's gonna that's going to give this the host something that they normally wouldn't have, which is in this case, premium olive juice from dirty They can make martinis on their own time. And uh, when they want to enjoy a martini, which is usually a very specific time of the day and of the week. And this is a great way to do it. So um, two packs are cheap. They are 20 some dollars. There's still a promotion going on using the, uh, the, the, promo code of Ben and Eric and you get 10% off and it's always free shipping at dirtysue.com for premium olive juice for your vodka or gin martinis. Yeah. Get it while it lasts. All right. It's a great gift for, for dinner parties, Eric. (laughs) For the reason that I said where the thing you shouldn't bring, if you're, if you know, I'm going to shit on an idea and this is a great, uh, great sub for that. You know, there's, there's a curve episode where Larry brings a baguette to a dinner party. He's like, everybody brings a bottle of wine. Why don't we bring something new? And Susie's like, what the fuck are you doing? Larry, (laughs) don't decide my menu. You don't decide my menu. It's that it's like that. That's what happened. (laughs) So I'm the Larry David in this uh, example. Sure. You might be right, but you're going about it in the wrong way. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So we're going to talk about your list, your um, Substack list, right? That's what it's called. Yeah, I, I I submitted a I published a Substack posting this week, and it's um, my Substack is at ericnarenberg.substack.com. You can get the spelling of my name on the show notes of this podcast. And as I do every year, I rate my top shows of the year, and uh, I've got like a, the top twelve that I really talked about. In fact, I think I talked about thirty five of them before I got into just listing the honorable mentions. And a lot of these shows we talked about on this this podcast throughout the year, and I'm I think of the, I'm looking at my top twelve. I think we talked about maybe eight or ten, nine of them. So quick, very yeah. quickly, the Bear number one, Marvelous Mrs. Maisel number two, which was its final season, The Last of Us season one, 
which I just, there's a spot in my heart for that show and video mm -hmm. game that will last forevermore. Uh, Happy Valley from BBC, now on AMC Plus, a British crime uh, show, which uh, I just adored. It was its final season. Reservation Dogs also had its final season of three seasons, which made a ton of people's um, top five lists. It's my number five, Love Reservation Dogs. And then just to quickly list the ones that we've already talked about, Succession, um, we talked about The Drops of God, and that's a few. Uh, so anything about those before I quickly hit off the ones we haven't talked about? Um, no, I, I like a lot. Um, I like a lot of them. I, I, you know how I feel about the last of us. It's not all that it's not, I don't think it's as much as what you make of it. Um, reservation dogs. I really need to finish the last two seasons. Um, Drops of God, I'm happy with. I mean, yeah, The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. I'm not going to invest that much time in The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. I'm sorry. I'm just not going to watch like six seasons of a show that I'm not familiar with and that I don't seven. absolutely adore. Seven, seven seasons. The way I, the way I watch, the way I'm about to watch six seasons of The West oh, Wing. Five because, seasons. I'm, my bad. Sorry. It wasn't yeah. six. God. We'll, fi we'll fix this in, in post, but uh, it's I'm five seasons. In. I'm leaving this in so people know no, no, what a fraud you are. For sure. Makes me look like an idiot. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. Go ahead. You were saying. I was saying I'm not going to watch a show that doesn't move me the way like the West Wing does where I'm like, oh, fucking awesome. I love right. watching the West Wing. Uh, I'm willing to watch like six seasons of that, even though there's only. Yeah, there is six seven. seasons of that. There's seven of that. Actually. There's seven of that one? Yeah, that was the one. That was the one that had seven. Okay. Yeah, the bear I'm in 100% support of. Um, I'm really glad you have that as your number one. That show deserves so many. That, that show deserves everything. Yep. Um, yeah. I if we go down the list, special ops should probably be closer to the bottom, uh, but we can, that's, that's, that's a conversation for one. That's a conversation we already had. Uh, breeders. Yeah. A lot of these, I just haven't seen uh, shrinking. Eh. You know, I could do without shrinking, but that's okay. It's number 18. Um, I really wanted the diplomat to be higher because I was really happy watching the diplomat and I really loved watching the diplomat. Number 20 um, for me. Yep. Number 20. And so I think it would beat something like uh, Special Ops. That would the diplomat would beat something like that for me. But yeah, I'm really I like your list. I like that you publish uh, all these lists. Go see them. Go go to Eric's Substack. Um, it's a really informative list. You're gonna find 40 great shows that like you could you could end up loving any any one of them, any few of them. It doesn't matter. Like there's Eric has very good taste in movies. Um, if that wasn't already abundantly clear by he picks, basically I pick from his list of movies and that's all the movies or that's all the shows that we've done on this podcast are ones that he's already seen because his taste is very good. I don't happen to like all of them, but that's because I'm opinionated and we have a podcast. So I got to perform, you know, like some of the, Oh, this was terrible, but all in all, I really like that you do this. Uh, it's worth checking out. Thanks. I've been doing it for years. Uh, I finally put it on Substack um, starting in 2021. And all of, uh, let me let me round out the top 12 here. Um, real quick, Slow Horses on Apple TV Plus is my number six. It has actually one episode to, to still be aired uh, next Wednesday-ish. Um, Gary Oldman stars in this. Um, Jack Loudon is also, has a big part in this. He was in The Gold this year as well. Um, they play the two kind of leads in this show. Fantastic 
spy British spy show. Um, it is outstanding, and they're in season three now, and they're going to keep making these, and they're pumping them out uh, within a twelve month period that you get a next season. So they're they're really ahead of the game. So love slow horses. The Gilded Age is number eight for me on Max. It is like the Downton Abbey in New York City is the short tagline for this. It's just like a soap opera. So I'm not going to make any high-minded, you know, um, this is definitely not going to be on Ben's top anything list, but I just eat this shit up. And I think the acting is wonderful. It's over the top. It's opulent. It is just great. Uh, Lessons in Chemistry was my number nine. I'm sorry, my number 10, Brie Larson. Um, and number 11 and 12 just made it to the list at the last minute. Uh, World War II from the front lines, a six episode documentary, Ken Burns style, but not by Ken Burns. It's on Netflix and it is like restored and colorized footage of World War II from the lead up starting in 1939 up through the end of the war in 45, spoiler alert. But uh, just an amazing docuseries, really great. And I learned like four things I did not know about World War II, and I thought I knew everything. So I love that that series. That's a good tagline. Um, you thought you knew everything. It turns out you didn't. I did not. And the last one, Scavengers Reign on Max, um, adult animated series. It's got to it's got to be highly regarded for me to go to an adult animated series. And some people said they love this, and I'm really glad I gave it a try. Ben, you, I think you would love this show. It is very abstract in the way it's delivered. It is, um, uh, it's a bit out there. These people are kind of crash shipwrecked on a, on a distant planet, and they're trying to get back to their main ship. And there's like four different parties out there on various parts of the planet, and they all have their own experiences trying to get back. And it is very sort of you know, psychological and, and deep and people are in their own heads and they're sometimes often uh, um, having these sort of abstract dreams about their past. There's great flashbacks in terms of explaining why this character is doing what they're doing. Just really well done. It could be done in a non-animated way. It would probably cost 6,000 times as much as it does. Uh, but they do it really well in this animated fashion. It's not high quality animation, but That's okay. it is, it is you know really effective at what it does. So it's called Scavengers Reign on Max, and that right. really rounds out my twelve. If I ever stop watching Curb, I'll check that out. Sacrilege! You should go back. To, there's really good TV out there, as I said. And um, my top two, my top show from 2022 is Station Eleven on Max. And my top show from 2021 was Made, M-A-I-D, on Netflix. Um, the, uh, help me, who was the, uh, the lead on Made? I forget. I never Quali. even heard of it. Quali. Really? No. Margaret. I don't Margaret, think you've ever mentioned it. Margaret Quali, 2021. It was far and away the best show of 2021. Uh, outstanding on Netflix. You should see it. Gut punch of a show. Anyway, think that's TV. Go check out my list. Okay. Substack is free. It costs nothing. Absolutely nothing. And you can also subscribe and get emails about a Substack, which I recommend you do because that's also free. And yep. you get to participate in Eric's lists, which are there very go. good. All right. I think that does it. We've talked a lot longer. I honestly thought this episode could have been 30 minutes. I think that's just because we wanted to talk about our favorite movies, which is why it's an hour. Um, 
So let's wrap it up here. Uh, Eric, always a pleasure. It was a good year, Ben. Yeah, great year for movies. Maybe next year I'll watch a few more. <laughs> you did just fine. Don't sell yourself short. All right. Um, Merry that's Christmas, just about New does year, it. everybody. Yeah, happy holidays. Um, see you guys maybe in 2024. I don't know if we're going to release another episode in 2023. Uh, that's. I think that's correct. Yeah. All right. We'll see you guys in 2024. Happy New Year. Happy holidays. Uh, take Bye, care. Everybody. Bye. Good episode. Yeah. And my mic didn't cut out. Thank fuck. There was one point.